welcome to another five-minute drop in Aloha and Peace. I'm Dr. J. I'm a licensed psychologist and psychospiritualist. But first and foremost, today I am your host. And as your host of Aloha and Peace, it is my intention, as well as my duty, to bring to the table different psychology tips, as well as different perspectives and paradigms that help us to really understand our world from a different place where it can actually help us along our journey. So if you consider yourself a personal development junkie like I do, and you are consciously aware of being on a spiritual path, I welcome you. If this is your first time here, I am so excited that you're here. If this is not your first time here, I am that much more excited that you're here again. So welcome friends and let's get started. In today's episode, I wanted to talk about intuition. Specifically, I wanted to discuss with all of you the difference between intuition and instinct. Now, when we think of intuition and instinct, we think they're pretty synonymous. But in fact, there's a very subtle but very significant difference that helps us to understand a little bit clearer about why we're here, as well as how to actually take the most appropriate and beneficial step forward. So to the extent that you are a spiritual being having this human experience, You have access to resources that help you to meet your spiritual as well as your human needs. So I'm going to say it again. To the extent that you are a spiritual being having this human experience, you came equipped with resources that help you to meet your spiritual needs as well as your human needs. So instinct helps us to meet our human needs, whereas our intuition helps us to meet our spiritual needs. So what are some human needs? In order for us to understand what some human needs are, it really helps us to perhaps perceive our brain in a different way than we've been perceiving it before or up until now. The human brain is actually not just one brain. It's three different brains interconnected and wired together. So I'm going to say it again. The human brain... It's not just one brain, but it's three different brains connected together and wired together. So when you consider the fact that as human beings, as a species, we've evolved for thousands and thousands of years, and because of this evolutionary process, we have three different brains, it helps us to understand or better understand our needs. So what are the three different parts of the human brain? We have the reptilian brain, which is at the the core of the human brain. So when you think of anatomically the human brain, the reptilian brain is the brain stem. So you have the reptilian brain that's responsible for things like keeping you safe and protected. You have over that reptilian brain, the mammalian brain. So the mammalian brain is the part of the brain that is responsible for things like social bonding, love, and connections. And yet over that mammalian part of our brains, we have the human part of the brain or the neocortex. And that's the part of the brain that's responsible for things like logical thought processes, solving puzzles, planning ahead. So that's the the cognitive piece of what we would consider our intellect. So when you consider your brain now within the skull as having three primary components, the reptilian part of the brain, the mammalian part of the brain, and then the human part of the brain, And understanding that your brain, the way that it's wired to actually 
communicate with each other, the three different parts of the brain to communicate with each other, they're actually wired in such a way, hierarchically, where there is this emergency switch that gets activated or tripped. So for example, when your reptilian part of the brain needs to come online, the mammalian brain and the human brain completely shuts off. So when the reptilian part of the brain, the part of the brain that needs to keep you safe and protected, gets activated, the mammalian brain as well as the human brain gets deactivated. So there's an emergency switch that turns them off the moment that the reptilian part of the brain is turned on. So funny story about the reptilian part of the brain. I will never be able to live down this particular story that I keep hearing over and over again, especially with my grandmother having passed recently. So when I was a little girl, so I was born in South Korea and I lived there for a few years before I, our family moved to Guatemala and then we moved to the States a while later. Growing up in South Korea, we took public transportation everywhere. And I specifically remember my grandmother owning this furniture slash bedding store. And it was out by like the flea markets and outdoor markets. What I remember about traveling with my grandmother to her store was getting on the bus and falling asleep on the bus until it was our stop. But then I'd wake up with this really soggy treat in my mouth. So what would happen is I would be eating snacks on the bus and then fall asleep because it was pretty far away within the context of being a little two and a half, three-year-old girl. And then I'd wake up with this really soggy treat in my mouth. And I specifically remember waking up to something like that in my mouth and then my grandmother tugging at my hand going, okay, we got to get off the bus. Now, the rest of the story, I don't remember. It's hearsay and I, I hear my, my parents or my mom and as well as my uncles and aunts telling me the story. But they would tell me that I would get off the bus with my grandmother. And as a little girl, and even still to this day, I'm... Uh, very curious in the in the in the way that I like to explore my surroundings and I like to explore the world and so as a two and a half year old little girl I'd wander off so instead of being with my grandmother hand in hand in this huge outdoor flea market like huge with thousands and thousands of people out at once I would wander off by myself and there's a specific story that I keep hearing over and over again that there was one instance where I was with my grandmother and then my grandmother turned away for two seconds to either purchase something or, you know, someone had called her name and she was distracted and I had wandered off again. And again, being the emphasis or the emphasized word whenever I hear stories like this, but I had wandered off and after 20 to 30 minutes of searching for me, my grandmother just completely lost hope and she was starting to become frantic. And so she called my younger, my younger uncle and he came over to where the flea markets were and was helping her search for me. Now, I think after about 15 minutes of searching, he said that he finally was able to locate me about a thousand feet away, holding a stranger's hand. He ran, he bolted for me, he ripped me apart from this guy who was holding my hand. Luckily for me, he actually leapt to action, trusting his instincts to come get me because I actually shared with him when he asked what I was doing and the, the stranger fled that a man had offered to give me snacks and that he, I, he would give me these snacks if I would follow him. And that's why I was holding his hand and following him <laughs> to get these snacks. So as a little girl, I loved, clearly I loved to eat and I loved to explore and wonder. I trusted anyone and everyone around me. 
But luckily for me, who didn't have her instincts completely developed, my uncle did. My uncle said something within him just kind of rang and said, there's something not right about this. And so he bolted to make sure he came and got me before it was too late. So that's a, a funny story of sharing how instincts are different from intuition in the sense that intuition is something else. So the thing about intuition is that it doesn't serve human needs. It serves spiritual needs. So instincts help to serve your human needs like protection and safety, whereas your intuition helps to serve your spiritual needs. Now, when we go back to the construct of the three brains and how we have the reptilian part of the brain that keeps us safe, now when the reptilian part of the brain is activated, all other parts of your brain turn off, right? There's that emergency switch that turns everything else off. So you have the mammalian part of the brain as well as your neocortex or the human part of the brain. But the thing about the mammalian part of the brain is that when the mammalian part of the brain is kicked on, so the mammalian part of the brain is the part of your brain that is responsible for things like love and social bonding, connections, remember, your neocortex or the human part of the brain shuts off, which means that when we grow up not receiving the love or the adoration or unconditional acceptance from our family members, our parents, our friends, there is no logic that can be used to turn that off, that feeling of pain and rejection. So going back to the three components of the brain. So we talked about the reptilian brain, how it serves to keep us safe and protected. When that part of the brain is clicked on, everything else turns off, including your mammalian as well as your human part of the brain. When the mammalian part of the brain is clicked on or turned on, the human part of the brain shuts off. That's the emergency switch. That's why when we grow up in a childhood with things like love and acceptance not given to us readily, things like pain, suffering, uh, social rejection, and this need for unconditional acceptance really rises and there's really no logical way of thinking away those needs or thinking away those painful feelings, the states of being right? That's why we know when the mammalian brain is activated and turned on, the human part of the brain, the part that's responsible for logical awareness, planning ahead, right? That logical intellectual side of us, doesn't matter how active we try to get that part of the brain, it doesn't work to undo the parts of the brain, like the reptilian brain and the mammalian brain. It just, the human part of the brain just shuts off. So there's no way that we can intellectualize um, our safety or our need for social bonding and connection and unconditional acceptance. So with that being said, if the instinct is the part of us that helps us to meet our human needs, the intuition is the part of us that helps us to meet the spiritual needs. Now, when we think about survival and protection, that's most definitely a human need. So that's the instinct. When we think about our intuition, however, it's not such a black and white area where, you know, one thing is primal, one thing is more spiritual or soulful. Because things like social bonding, yes, evolutionarily speaking, it served us to belong to a group because it decreased or increased our uh, rates of survival. 
But when you think about things like our life purpose or legacy and how those things don't exist outside of the context of other people, this need for social bonding, this need for acceptance and this need to be connected to other beings can be an intuitive spiritual need. So within our brain, there are components that work to help serve our instinctual needs as well as our intuitional needs. So our instinct is mostly anatomically speaking from within that brainstem, whereas our intuition arises from the unconscious mind. Now we have both the unconscious as well as the conscious mind. The conscious mind is a part of your mind that can register anywhere from five to nine bits of information, which is why things like phone numbers, the max that we have in terms of the length of digits is nine digits. The unconscious mind is a part of your brain that it knows exactly how many stairs are with are in your house if you don't count, that know exactly how many tiles are on your ceiling, right? It's that part of your brain that registers millions of information and captures all of it. Now, that might seem almost impossible for us to do because the part of us that think that are consciously aware of ourselves is within lives within the conscious mind, we can actually tap into the unconscious mind. And we'll talk about how to tap into our intuition a little bit easier or more and how to practice that towards the end of this episode. But first, I wanted to mention that we have two separate obstacles in terms of being able to tap into our intuition. The two obstacles of being able to tap into our intuition are ego and fear. Now, ego is not the thing that we think of when we think of pride. Although we, we synonymously use the two terms, ego and pride, they're really not the same. So when we think of ego, ego is a collection of all of your human experiences. So ego is not necessarily synonymous to pride, it's more synonymous to personality. Ego is a collection of all of your experiences. It's all of the stories that you've created in your head about yourself as well as about this world. It's all of the different painful experiences you've had, all of the most joyful, expansive experiences you've had. Ego is a collection of all the ways you've experienced this world within your five senses right? You have sight, hearing, taste, smell, touch, or within the stories that you've taught yourself. These are all of the different ways we've been conditioning ourselves to believe about ourselves within this world. Now, the thing about ego is that it's very limiting because ego can only conceptualize who I am, the essence of me within either the five senses or the stories that we've created about ourselves. It can't touch or tap into the parts of me that are beyond the five senses. The second obstacle that comes in our way when we want to try and tap into intuition is fear. Now, what is fear? Fear is simply the absence of love. Fear is the absence of love. And the best way to experience what that means is to consider yourself in a pitch black room, pretend you're in a pitch black room and you can't see a, a darn thing in front of you or around you. Imagine now that you notice within your left hand is a flashlight. And so you turn the flashlight on. Now what happens when you turn that flashlight on? Now there's light. Now all of a sudden because the flashlight is on, you can see different things in the room. 
right? It's like that switch. You turn it on and you can see. You turn it off, you cannot see. Fear is just like that. Fear is the absence of love. So if that's true and you can consider it as being in a dark room and just simply turning on a light bulb or a flashlight and being able to see, all you need to do to remove fear is to introduce what it's the absence of, is love. If we can learn to understand that things like ego and fear are the two only things that get in the way of being able to tap intuition, and why is intuition so important? Intuition is so important because it helps us to understand what the best step forward would be on our path. It helps us to understand how to make the best decisions for ourselves, how to make this journey more enjoyable and not so much suffering. So to the extent that ego and fear are the only two obstacles that get in the way, and intuition is what helps us to see feel and understand and know clearly that we are making the best decisions for ourselves, best steps forward, then all we need to understand now and truly learn to practice doing is tapping into our intuition more. And the number one, the quickest, most efficient way that I found to tap into my intuition and to really, it's like working out. When you go to the gym and you work out, whether it's, you know, your biceps or your triceps or you want to work out your glutes, whatever it is, whatever you're working out, the more you practice, the more reps you put in and the more sets you put in, the stronger you become, the easier it becomes. And it's just like that for intuition. So the more you can practice tapping into your intuition, it gets better, it gets stronger, it gets faster. So the way that I found that it is the most efficient way to get there is to practice listening to silence. And I don't just mean physically silent, because that definitely helps being in a room all by yourself. I mean complete silence. Silence from your thoughts. Silence from your stories. Silence from all of the ways we've been working ourselves to um, deceive or create illusions around this idea that we can't turn our brains off, we can't turn our minds off, when we can see beyond that illusion, when we can understand that silence is something we can achieve, we can create, within that silence is a language. It's a universal language of love and of truth. And so the only way for you and I to be able to understand fully, 100%, completely and absolutely that we are on the right path, that we know who we are, what our essence is made of, is to learn to listen to the silence. Because within the silence is the universal language of life. I hope that served you well, my friends. If you have any questions or feedback, please reach out to me. You can email me at drj at yourlifeinspired.com. Again, it's drj at yourlifeinspired.com. I'll talk to you soon.